On today's podcast, we have Brandon Turner. So excited about this. You might know him as Beardy Brandon, which is how he goes by on his Instagram. He started the Bigger Pockets podcast. And if you're in real estate or even not in real estate, everybody knows this podcast. They've had over 100 million downloads from the podcast. He also owns a ton of real estate. He has over 7,400 doors. His capital group has deployed over 650 million in real estate. Uh, he's an author. He sold over a million copies. He's a father of two, married, lives in Maui, live in the dream, and such an incredible person. I'm so excited to get into the podcast today. Brandon, thanks for coming on today. We're so excited to have you. Dude, I am pumped. Anytime we get to talk about real estate and personal development and just, you know, general life, it just fires me up. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm so excited, and I listened to a podcast a while ago about how you broke up your life in three different phases, and that's kind of what I want to go through today. Mm. Is I'm really curious on, I think you got your first house and jumped into everything when you were 21, correct? That is correct. You've done your research. Yeah, I was 21 years old. So I worked at Cold Stone Creamery, you know, that like the ice cream place, right? So I was like Absolutely. scooping. Absolutely. It's me and uh, my wife's favorite yeah, place. Yeah, it's so good, right? I worked there and I gained 40 pounds. That was a rough year. It was so good though. Uh, yeah. So I, I worked there and I rented some crappy apartment from some apartment complex and I rented out all the bedrooms to some buddies. And I'm like, well, that was kind of cool. I got to live for free. I lived on the couch because I rented my room out. But uh, that was my first kind of foray into the idea of like, you know, is there another way to live than what everyone else does? So then like fast forward a year, I, uh, it's 07, I'm 21 years old, and I bought a single-family house to live in, and I rented out all the bedrooms again to different buddies, and I got to live for free, and I was like, this is great. Like, why doesn't everyone do this? So that was kind of my very intro into the world of real estate. I wasn't trying to be a real estate mogul or get rich or anything. I just was like, how do I live cheaper so I don't have to work so much? And that was the, uh, and, and that was the that solution. Was that it? Like, had you read any books on real estate? Did your parents do real estate? Or was it just like kind of by mistake? Almost? Yeah, it, I had not read any books on real estate at that point. Uh, I, I was actually bowling with a friend and my friend's sister showed up and my friend's sister was a real estate agent. And I said, hey, you're a real estate person. I need to I need to find a house to rent. Can you help me find a house to rent? And she goes, yeah, well, I mean, I could. But why don't you just buy a house? It's cheaper. And I was like, well, what do you mean it's cheaper? She's like, well, yeah, you just you just buy a house and, and the mortgage is cheaper than what your rent would be, at, at least at this time in this area. And I was like, wait, but I'm like 21 and I have terrible credit or at least no credit. And I make like nine dollars an hour. Uh, and she's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just they, they gave loans to anybody. <laughs> this is like oh, seven. Right. So like they gave yeah. me a loan for like whatever I wanted. It was ridiculous. Uh, so I bought Things a house. Have changed. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Things have definitely changed. Uh, <laughs> but I got in and and I bought this house for almost nothing down. It was like three percent down, basically like an FHA loan, which they still have today. And all of a sudden, I was living for free because I rented out the bedrooms. Then I kicked out my buddies. I got married. I moved my wife in, and then we sold the property. And I made twenty grand, and I was like. That was more money than I had ever seen in my entire life. And I made it with one real estate deal. And that was like, so I started, I, and that then I got obsessed, right? I read every book on real estate I could find. I started listening to podcasts on it. That was kind of before podcasts were podcasts, but I found some shows out there and just dove headfirst into the idea of real estate. Because I'm like, if I could do this one time, could I just flip houses and make a bunch of money? Could I own rental properties and make a bunch of, you know, passive income? Uh and that's how I started. So that's kind of the beginning of what I, yeah, like I say, is phase one, two, and three of my life. That was like the yeah. beginning of phase one was 
Let's buy. I mean, here, I'll tell you my logic. Like from day one, my logic was this. I said, if I can just make $100 in profit from every uh, rental unit that I owned, how many rental units would I have to have to quit my job? And so I was like, well, I need about three grand to pay all my bills, you know, pay my, you know, my, my water bill and my sewer bill and my mortgage or rent or whatever, you know, I pay those three grand a month. So I said, okay, I'm going to go get 30 units. I don't care if they're duplexes, triplexes, single family houses, whatever. I don't care. I'm just going to get into the business of collecting rental units. So my wife and I just did whatever we could do. And we had no money. I mean, we live in a crappy area. Like I had no job for a good portion of that. It was like, do whatever you got to do to hustle your way into getting 30 units. And it took us from 21 till 27 uh, to get those 30 units with basically no money. And uh, when I was 30 or 27, then I quit my job and I was like, quote unquote, retired <laughs> at 27 because I could pay my bills. And that was phase one. Nice. So, and it, it sounds like it wasn't one property. It sounds like you were acquiring doors along the way. Yeah. I started like, I, I buy like a house and then I buy like a duplex and then a triplex and then I flip some houses or, you know, where you buy them, fix them up and sell them. And that was okay. Uh, this was like, you know, 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I mean, these were rough years in the U.S. economy. Uh, so I was kind of just doing whatever I could do to make it work. And I just had this unwavering belief that if I could just get enough rental units, I could eventually quit my job. And it totally worked that way. Now, a lot of those deals didn't make money because I didn't know how to run the numbers right. I didn't know how to manage tenants right. All that stuff takes time to learn. Uh, but you know what's amazing is uh, this uh, new invention that just came out um, a book, these <laughs> books, like, right? Like books are unreal, <laughs> right? Like you just like, you're like, oh, I don't know how to do that hard thing. Oh, you mean some person who's maybe done 20, 30, 40, 50 years of that thing pours out thousands and thousands of words of knowledge and wisdom. And then you can take that for like free from your local library and then run with it. Like how great are books, right? Like, yeah, my whole phase one was just my whole life is just like learn from books and then go and put it into action. Let's talk about books because I want to bring mm. this up anyways. Right now, how many books a year would you say you read? Mm. Pro probably, I don't, I don't even count anymore, but probably 50 to 75, somewhere in there. Uh, I okay, read a lot. So you're, you're a book a week. Yeah, yeah, at least a book a week. Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. How, so for me, <laughs> one thing I talk about here, the company is like, it's one of the hardest things that I do in my life. I do a book a week and it is yeah. so Hard. Yeah. So what are some tips and tricks that you found to hitting that book a week mark? Yeah, let me let me explain my process with reading. And this might not work for everybody. It works for me. It doesn't work for everyone. So first of all, I read a chapter every single morning of a book. Like I'm always there's always one book that I'm reading a chapter every morning of. Uh, and so uh, the first thing I do in the morning, I have a whole morning routine. We can talk about that if you want to. But part of the routine yeah. is I read one chapter. Now, the average book has maybe what, like 12, 13, 14 chapters in it. So sure, that means on average, I'm reading a book about every 12, 13, 14 days. Uh, that's that's just consistent. I'm doing that. Now that takes maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes every morning. So that's part of my routine. I have a one hour routine and 20 to 25 minutes of that is reading. Now I do read quick. I've done a speed reading, not classes, but watch a lot of videos on it. I've, I've learned a little bit how to read. Like it's a skill. You can read faster, right? So, um, so rule number one, I guess, is I read consistently every single day. I do not miss a day uh, where I miss my morning routine and my reading. If I do, it's very rare and it throws off my whole life. Uh, so that's the first thing is consistency. People always think they got to read for hours at a time. It's, it's not true, right? Just a little bit every day. You will finish sure. like 10 minutes a day. You'll finish 30 books a year. Like that's the truth. Um, yeah. The second thing is I always, 
I'm always reading more than one book. This where it gets a little weird that not, it won't work for everybody, but I'm always reading more than one book. And I do that for a couple reasons. Uh, one, I like to have books all around my house that wherever I am, I will default to a book, not my phone. So if I'm like sitting on the couch, there will be a book that I'm reading that's sitting next to the couch. Cause I'll, if I'm tempted to grab my phone, no, I'll just grab my book and I'm, I can pick that book up and I can just start reading. And I, I don't, Again, maybe I'm just weird or, you know, whatever, but like I can just pick it up and start reading and I feel like I didn't lose anything. It's not like I have to re-remember because I just read it yesterday a little bit more. So I can have multiple books going at one time all around my house. But the other reason I do that is because certain uh, certain moods that I'm in are interested in reading certain books. And so sometimes I don't want to read a business book. Sometimes I just want to read a fiction book. And so now I've got that option because I've got a fiction book. I've got a business book. I've got a leadership book I'm reading. I've got a book on, you know, I got a book called like a thousand road trips to take in your life sitting on my coffee table. So if I'm just like, hey, I just kind of feel like like zoning out on a book. I'll read a thousand road trips to take and I'll just start zooming through cool road trips. Right. So that way it's not like, should I read? It's which book should I pick up and read for the next 10 minutes while I'm killing some time here? Uh, and so that, those tips have really helped me a lot is just always having books around everywhere around my house, reading multiple yeah. books. I'm in the right mood and then reading consistently every single day. couple questions with this, and this yeah. is awesome. Really helpful. What percentage would you say, if you look back over the last 12 months, what percentage are nonfiction compared to fiction? I'd say 80, 20 is nonfiction versus fiction. Uh, I okay. like, I like fiction, um, because it's like watching a movie, right? Uh, I have found myself hard. It's the more I engage on social media, the more I use TikTok specifically, the harder it is for me to read. I have noticed that trend in my life. In fact, I'm doing a, a two-month phone fast right now where I'm not using my phone for two months because I don't like that aspect of my brain that I'm losing. And they've done so many studies on this, and they're emerging more and more every day. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, it's ruining our brains. And so I'm on a two-month fast right now so I can try to reset my brain a little bit because yeah. I want to read, right? So. Yeah, nonfiction takes the majority of it. Uh, fiction is typically what I'll do before going to bed at night. I always try to read for at least 10, 15, 20 minutes before bed. Uh, it's better than scrolling TikTok. Uh, and I'm not always good at that one because sometimes I just don't feel like reading at the end of the day. But uh, sure, if it's a great book, like if you've ever read the book Red Rising, it's called Red yeah. Rising. Uh, it's the greatest fiction book I have ever read. It's it's so good. I would I would read that book over like like eating pizza or, or, uh, like almost anything fun you can imagine. That's like cool. Sure. Like maybe yeah. not sex, but almost anything else. I would read red rising <laughs> over almost anything because it's such a great book. And so part of enjoying reading, I think is finding things that fire you up and not everyone's going to love red rising, but it's a great kind of science fiction, kind of old, like medieval kind of feel to it. Um, which is sure. a weird combination, but you find something you love and you just go in on it. Um, it makes for better. me, it's easier to read. Yeah. It's, it's more yeah. entertaining, right? Yeah. And I need to do a better job because I feel like it opens up my creative veins, but I'm probably like mm. 99% nonfiction, yeah. 1% fiction, but fiction is awesome. It can just be so fun. I, I notice I can cruise right through a fictional book. Yeah. Like no same. problem. Just like yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. I, um, I, yeah. Go so, pick up Red Rising. I'm curious your thoughts on that book. That book just like. Yeah. I'll, ch- I'll, yeah. I'll check it out and let there's you know. Like, there's What's like six been, books in the series. They're, they're not as good, but the first one. Mm. So good. 
Cool. Well, yeah, I'm excited to check it out. I think a, a big thing with books is you spend all this time, you go through it. To me, I feel like I'm tapping into all this knowledge that's out there mm. where people have dedicated their whole life or their whole career to time management or efficiency yeah. or business or finance or real estate or whatever, right? And then I think the challenge is, is how, when you cover this content and you get these golden nuggets, how do you take that out, extract it, and implement it into your life? So what ways have you found to be helpful for you as you take all this knowledge out of these books? Yeah, great question. So one thing, a tip I have for reading nonfiction that answers this question, I never read a nonfiction book without a pen in my hand. So I, I never read a nonfiction book without a pen in my hand. So I will, I will sit down and I will hold the pen and I might, I, and I will underline things that are, vi that are life-changing, vital, or that I want to remember later. Now, the truth is I never go back and revisit the books that I've underlined. I'm not sure I ever, it's not like I, I'd like to say, oh, at the end of the book, I take it and I go and take all the quotes and all the things I underline and I put them in a Google doc and I revisit it every month. No. However, simply by underlining things as I read them. It encodes it in my brain in such a powerful way that I will remember that. I can recall it later. Maybe not word for word, but because and they've done these studies on like, I'm sure you've heard like the whole, you remember, you know, 10% of what you see and 20% of what you read and 30% of what you blah, blah, sure. blah. And they always say you remember yeah. the most of what you teach. But there's a study done a few years ago that said it, there's one way to, to recall and retain even higher levels of what you what you are trying to learn. And that is when you learn, assume you have to teach it later. If you read with the assumption that you have to teach that topic, your brain encodes it in such a more solid way. And which is why I underline, because I always assume I tell myself, I'm going to teach this later. I'm going to make a YouTube video about it. I'm going to make an Instagram post about it. And I usually don't, but I tell myself I'm going to, and then that gets stuck in my brain and I can recall it later. People are always like making fun of me. Cause I can, I'm like, Oh yeah. And that one book, he said this one thing. And I'm real like, I know a, a ton of that's in books all because I underline everything when I'm reading anything that's powerful. It just gets coded in there. I love it. I do the same thing. And then when I'm done, I try to go back through and take all my notes and then put it into a file. And then I can just pull up that file yeah. and I have my summary or my thoughts and, and things like that. So one thing that I, I've noticed, I'm not a hoarder. The only thing I hoard is books. Books, same. Yeah. And I think I've heard you say this on a different podcast. Like if anybody says it, like yep. this good book, you're like, boom, you buy it. Yeah. And that's how I am. I'm like, Amazon, let's get it. And then I try and get to it as quick as possible. But there's this huge like backlog of books where uh -huh. I feel like I don't have enough time to get through everything that I want to. Yeah, I got a whole stack right here. I mean, I've got I've got hundreds of books probably that I own that I have not read yet. And I've got hundreds that I have read. Uh, but here's here's how I look at that. I think books are probably the greatest investment in like the history of mankind. I mean, like I said earlier, for like $20, you are getting the life, the combined lifetime knowledge dispelled down into one easy framework that will take less than 10 hours to read from like from geniuses, like how for $20, like I, and here's the way I look at this. And this helps me read a lot. And hopefully people listen to this. If they're like, ah, I don't really like reading. Let me make it very like simple. Every book you read that's a nonfiction book will make you a million dollars on average. Every nonfiction book you read will make you a million dollars or more on average. Now, the key is on average. What I mean by that is this. And maybe you're different. Maybe you're in an industry that doesn't make as much money as real estate or, you know, whatever. But if yeah. you read 100 books that are like powerful personal development books over the course of your life, you will probably make $100 million that you would not have made had you not uh, not read those books. And so even one book might make you $5. My, one book might make you 
$2 million. But on average, every book makes me a millionaire. Every uh, conference I attend makes me a million dollars on average. Every conversation, every podcast I listen to makes me a million dollars. And if not a million, fine, maybe a thousand dollars, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. But you get what I'm saying is on average, sure. it all works. It all is beneficial. Uh, and if you're saying, well, I only want to read books that are going to be life changing. I mean, you don't know what those are. You don't know what book's going to hit you in the right spot. So just, yeah, I heard a sales guy say that years ago. He's like, he's like going to talk about door to door sales. Right. And he was like, he, he, I asked him like, how do you overcome the fear of like getting that rejection? He's like, oh, every house I knock on is $1,000. Every house I knock on is $1,000 because every, you know, one out of 10 makes me whatever, 10,000, whatever the number, right? He had yeah. that, that number. Yeah. And he's like, that, it's, not, it's not scary to get rejected anymore when you know that every single time you knock on a house, you're going to make whatever, 10, 100,000, whatever that number is. So I agree. Podcasts can be a great tool. So many other Same. things, but I think pound for pound, Books have the most because if mm. you want to cover a topic really in depth, like a podcast, great, one hour, 45 minutes, whatever. But a book, like you said, a whole life work yeah. is in that $20 piece of content, which <laughs> yeah, is so nuts. valuable. So uh, reading is a huge aspect of my life. I know it's huge of yours, and that's why I want to, to geek out on it a little bit. And I yeah. hear that you're writing a fictional book right now. I know you've written mm. a lot of other books on real estate, but now you're getting into fiction. Uh, yeah, you know, I am... I am. And when I say I'm writing, it's, it's probably too strong of a word to say I'm writing a fiction book. I am playing around with the idea that will become a book that I will write. And here's the difference, right? It's like somebody says, oh, I am training for a marathon. And then you're like, oh, really? What are you doing? You're like, well, I mean, I, I go out, I got some shoes and I go out running once in a while. I'm like, well, that's not the same as training for a marathon, right? Like there is when I'm in book writing mode. It is like every day, at least an hour, I'm in my office, I'm writing the book. Right now, I'm, I'm dabbling with the fiction book, but okay. I will be writing a fiction book. Uh, I will commit to it soon uh, to actually putting work every single day into it. But yeah, I, I, I don't actually care about writing a fiction book as much as I want to write a book that, that changes people. And fiction yeah. changes mindset in such a powerful way. And so I want to write a book that is a fiction book that reads like a fiction book that people might not even know is changing sure. them, but does. Uh, the yeah. Alchemist is the best example I have of that. A book that like... Love that book. Yeah. Uh, another book recommendation, if you're listening to this and you have kids, is my son and I, we went through all of Jocko's fictional books. Oh, yeah. I hear they're the great. I've the not Warrior read them Man. yet. And those are so dang good to read with your kids. And yeah. just like you said, it, it changed minds on approaching work ethic mm -hmm. and jujitsu and different things like that. He talks about money investing. Yeah. And so uh, same thing with Kobe Bryant. He made that pivot at the end of his career after basketball where he started to get into children's books. Yep. And we've read those as well. So I, I think it's awesome what you're doing. And I'm excited if you do release that. No, thank you. So kind of going back to phase one, 21 through 27, by the time yep. you hit 27 years old, you're financially free yep. enough just to cover bills. Yeah. I wasn't like pouring in the money and, and making millions, yeah. but I, I like that first phase of financial freedom, you're yep. covering bills, but you're not probably really comfortable. What were yes. you doing for your job during that time? 21 to 27. Yeah, for a little bit of it, I had a, uh, a job at a, like I worked at, you know, started at Cold Stone. I worked at a group home overnights and then I got a job at a bank, um, just like doing loans. Like I was making like 13 bucks an hour helping people with credit cards and home equity lines of credit. I did that for a year. 
I didn't like that at all. I, I just hated the, you know, wear a nice shirt, show up at nine o'clock, stare at the clock as it goes to 901, 902, 903. And you're just like, <laughs> this sucks. So I did that for a year. And uh, I, 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 I played around with being a contractor. So like, I, I'm pretty handy. Like I wasn't when I got into real estate, but I learned, you know, with those, that first house, I learned how to be a handy. So I started doing like laying carpet for people, painting people's houses inside and out. I made some money that way. Just, just enough to get by. Um, I didn't love that. I flipped some houses, but again, it was 2012 was a, a hard time to flip houses because nobody could sure. get mortgages. Nobody could buy anything and prices weren't really climbing yet. So I just kind of did whatever I had to do to make some money to be able to keep, you know, food on the table. And we lived super cheap. I mean, I was a Dave Ramsey, like, you know, envelope budget, like keeping, uh, trying to like, just not spend money on anything ever. Uh, because yeah. The truth is, right? Like if you, mo what most people do is they make a little more money and then they spend a little more money and then they make a little more money and they spend a little more money. And that, I, I went to, I went to dinner one time with a dude and he's complaining at dinner how he's just struggling with money so much. And he's like, I, he's like, I just have, I don't understand. I make, it was like $350,000 a year. I don't understand how I can't, uh, you know, have more money to invest. I'm really struggling. Oh, I see me waiter. Uh, yeah. Why don't you bring over that bottle of wine and that one? And it was like $3,000 of wine. And then he goes back to, wow. and I just, I'm really, I can't figure out where my money's going. And I sat there like, dude, you just bought like $3,000 of wine at dinner. He's like, well, yeah, that, I mean, yeah. that's just, I mean, I'm a, I'm a wine guy. I mean, that's what I do. Right. So in other words, like there's this income creep that, that hits people and it's happened to me as well, for sure. But I fought it very, very strong in the beginning because I knew that if I could keep my expenses at a minimum, financial freedom would be easier to hit. And once I hit financial freedom, then I can go out and like risk a little bit and play and, and try things and figure out what that next, like the next phase of my life would be, which is exactly what happened. I was 27 financial freedom. And now I was able to take a risk by starting a podcast, uh, the bigger pockets podcast with Josh Dorkin, who had founded the website, bigger pockets. And uh, we started the podcast together. And that was when phase two started was kind of what, building the internet. What business. caused that idea? What made you want to do that? That's a good, good question. Uh, so I, I've been a member of this site, Bigger Pockets, for a long time. I love Bigger Pockets. I still do, do today. Uh, they help a lot of people get started in real estate. A lot of good information, a lot of good for, like forum conversations, like millions of forum posts. So I started as a member of the site, was a huge fan of it. And then I started listening to podcasts like Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn. And there was one called the Real Estate Radio Guys show. It's still around today. And uh, there's a few other shows. And... and I was like, this is amazing. Like, it's like a book, right? You get to pick somebody's brain for an hour, but you get to just listen to it while you're reading, while you're, I mean, while you're, while you're walking around, while you're getting ready in the morning. And so when I went to Josh and I was like, Hey, we should start a podcast. Josh was the one that found, you know, on bigger pockets. I was like, we should start a podcast. Like, and I said these words to him it was so funny. I was like, I'm, I know we missed the podcast boat, but I still think there's some, you know, residual uh, value left in podcasting. <laughs> this is like 10 years ago, right? We missed the podcast wow. boat. Like wow. I assumed it had peaked. And the lesson there is like, you never know like where the future is going. Like you, you, you just never know. So you just do your best. Like, and, and we went in there, we launched the podcast anyway, and we didn't miss it. We just rode the wave. Like, and now people today are like, oh, you know, I really wish I was in real estate, but oh, I missed that. Oh, I really wish I missed, I, I was in solar, right? But oh, I missed the solar sure. climb. We don't know. You never know. Just do a good job. So true. Put your heart into it. And sometimes you get lucky and you happen to be at the bottom of the wave and you can ride it up. And uh, that's what we did. 
So looking back at that experience, because you, you've been out of it just for a little bit now. Yeah. I mean, did you envision taking that thing to as big as it grew? I just yeah, no. read it hit its 100 <laughs> millionth download, Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, no, I never expected it in that, like, I mean, we had a five-year goal. I think it was like a five-year goal to get top 100 of all business podcasts. And it happened week one. I mean, week one, we hit number six. So, like, uh, I did not expect that. Uh, you know, was that just lack of confidence or lack of uh, self-awareness? I don't know. But I, I never thought we'd do anything like that. But at the same time, like, again, this is just another, like, this life lesson. No one knows what's going to hit. Like no one knows why that YouTube video did well. And that one didn't, nobody knows why that book took off and sold a million copies. And that one didn't, I mean, I've written what seven books now already, like nonfiction books. And one of them sells 90% of the book sales that I get. Mm. Why did that yeah. one take off? I have no idea. You never know what's going to take off. You don't know what the market is going to reward, what's going to hit people's hearts just right. You never know. So you have a choice, right? You can say, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything because I don't know which is going to work. Or you can just do the work. You show up every day and you just put in the effort. You write the book. You knock on that door. You do all the, the, the process and the results just take care of themselves over time. And so that's what I found with, that, with the podcast is we just put things out there and it happened to work. Uh, and, and, and it worked really well. But what, what are some reasons why you think it works so well? Yeah, looking back now, I can say a few things. Number one, we were very consistent with it. We never missed, we have not missed an episode, not missed a date in 10 years. It's been on uh, next month, it'll be 10 years that the podcast has been running for. Never missed a Thursday ever. Um, there were times where I was editing podcasts at two in the morning, you know, editing a show, trying to get it done, or recording at one in the morning because we lost the file and had to re record it at one in the morning. But no matter what, no matter what the world threw at us, we never missed an episode, no matter what. So that's first. Number two is okay. I think when it comes to podcasting, yes, information is important, but people can get the information anywhere. People listen to your podcast or my podcast or somebody's podcast because they like you, the host. They listen. I listen to Joe Rogan because I like Joe Rogan. He asks good questions. Yes, the guest is what it's all about, you know, whatever. But the same guest that's on Joe Rogan is on 20 different podcasts over the, you know, that month. They're always on a book tour. They're always going everywhere. I listen to Joe Rogan because I like Joe Rogan. So people just naturally uh, liked us because we made them like us through humor, through getting personal, talking about our families, talking about my struggles, being real. Uh, that made a big impact. And, and rela closely related to that is people need to be entertained. I don't care if it's a business show or whatever. People just need to be entertained. And if that's humor, great. If it's just pure gold content, great. If it's silly sound effects, if it's Mr. Beast, like giving away a million dollars to a homeless person, like whatever. It's all about entertainment. Uh, you have to you have to give people sugar to get the medicine to go down. So like you have to give them entertainment to get the knowledge and wisdom to go down. And we were funny. Yeah. Like we were a funny show. We, like Josh and I, I we loved just it. had that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. And I've heard you speak about towards the end of phase two, you're doing the podcast, yeah. you're speaking at a conference. There's some yeah. big ballers there at the conference that have, you know, over a thousand doors and you just felt like, man, I don't know if I fit in. Right. Is that basically yeah. the story? That's it. And I mean, so that I was, was, yeah, that's phase is that what that. caused the transition into phase three. It did. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you just like. I was like coasting in life a little bit where I owned a bunch of rentals. I had the podcast going. I was writing these books and everything was good. Like everything was good. But there was this nagging feeling that I was not living to my potential. 
And I mean, I don't know if you're, I'm sure you're this way. I could, I can feel it, right? Like you get joy from accomplishment, right? From trying, doing something hard. You're like, that's going to be a hard thing. Let me go do that, right? Versus majority of the world is like, that's going to be a hard thing. I would rather watch TV. And they go back to swiping their phone or whatever, right? So that, that was it. I was like, there, that looks hard to build a commercial real estate business and to get to the whole new level, like raising capital and like really going for it. And uh, I was like, that sounds hard, but I want to, I want to deserve to be on this stage. I was on stage and I'm like, I don't deserve to be here. I'm here cause I got a big podcast and I can sell tickets to a conference, but I'm not actually deserving of being on stage and educating people. So I went back to school essentially. And I started learning how to buy big commercial real estate deals like mobile home parks and apartments. And that's sure. when phase three started. So this is really interesting for me because selfishly out of doing a podcast, you get to pick people's mm-hmm. brains and understand everything, right? So you have this really unique perspective where you've had five to six years on the podcast and talk to anybody that's doing anything in real estate. And as we know, real estate has so many different things within yeah. that umbrella. And then you say, okay, with open door capital, we're going to go into apartment complexes and mobile home parks. And so there's a thought process that gets you there. Why did you pick those two out of everything that's out there in the world of real estate? Yeah. And even we can even simplify more. I didn't even apartments weren't even part of it at the beginning either. It was going to be just mobile home parks. That was the original was mobile home parks. And people ask me all the time, why mobile home parks? Mobile home parks were the best investment because I picked them. It's like this, right? Your spouse is the best spouse for you because you chose them. And because they chose you. In other words, like, I don't care where you end up in life. You made a decision and you went for it. And that's why they're the best spouse for you. The same is true, I believe, when it comes to real estate. It's the best because I picked it. Not be, there's no, like, now there are reasons why mobile home parks are good. And there are reasons why they're bad. There are reasons mobile sure. home parks are, I mean, a self storage is good. There's reasons that flipping houses is good and wholesaling is good. It all works. All of it. That's the great thing about real estate. It all works. It doesn't matter. Pick anything. It'll work. The most important thing is that you pick something. And there's a great quote in the book Traction from Gino Wickman. He says, it is more important that you decide than what you decide. For years, I just didn't make a decision. I didn't pick anything. And finally, I I was confronted with the reality of my indecision leading to inaction and inaction leading to no growth and no growth leading to a lack of happiness that I was confronted with that. And I said, you know what? And I read that line. It's more important to decide than what you decide. I'm like, all right. I'm just going to pick mobile home parks. Like that was the gist of it. Like now there are, again, there are reasons why I think they're good, especially in a, in a troublesome economy. And I assumed a crash would come at some point. There are reasons I like mobile home parks. Don't get me wrong, but that's a minor consideration. The most important thing is I just made a choice and I went for it. So my encouragement to anyone listening is what are you currently not making a decision on? and therefore not taking action and therefore not growing and therefore you're not as happy as you could be and just stop, just make the decision and go with it. Jump all in. You will never regret it. Sure. And I, you hear this all the time in real estate, just get in, get in real estate, just do a deal. That's where you're going to learn. Like for me, I jumped into a bunch of single family homes and very quickly, I'm like, I don't want to be yeah, in single yeah. family homes. Yeah. You won't know but that I unless you never do it. Learned that. Yep. Yeah. I would have never got there. So <laughs> let's talk about, it's probably different types of people, I would guess, that are investing in open door capital. Like as I listen to Bigger Pockets, and I'm sure a lot of people that, because the bird that method that you kind of coined, right? Yeah, that's an active investor. That's you buying yeah. rehab, all that stuff. Yeah, where open door capital is more of a passive investor, right? So so often, Brandon, I see 
people, they have their primary source of income and too quickly they abandon that to try and replace that with passive income. And I've heard you talk about this financial freedom island, right? Yeah. And you have to build that bridge to get over to that island, but you don't want to abandon your primary source of income in the process of doing that. And that's an art of, of how do you balance that and how do you transition? And so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, man. So I, I see this all the time. Like people get into real estate, like real estate is hard. It's not like 2012 anymore, which there were difficulties back then as well, but you buy anything in 2012 and it made a ton of money and you're successful. Like today, like, Maybe it's because of bigger pockets as, as a piece of it, like just the information age in general has made so many more people. So it's much more difficult to be good at real estate. Now, you totally can do it. I'm not telling people they shouldn't do it. They should just know that it requires sure. a lot of effort, right? Just like it requires a lot of effort to start your own business or to be a salesperson and go door to door or to do like all of that requires a lot of effort, work, time, training, and it takes time to get good at it. So what I notice people doing all the time is like, I, I talk to people all the time. They have some business, something going where they're finally making money at it and they're doing really well. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm going to jump into real estate. And it's like, they go back to square one, being a newbie and making mistakes and, and, and screwing up. I mean, like, I'll tell you actually a quick story. So years ago, uh, this is probably six years ago now. I, uh, I, I wanted to buy a property at auction. So I went to the county courthouse step auction. I learned how to buy at auction. I had to read a book on it. I, I, I talked to some people. I go to the auction. I bid on a property. I bought it for $15,000. I was the only one that showed up to bid. One five, like super cheap. I then spent the next wow. year fixing it up. Uh, I, not personally, I hired a bunch of contractors. I had a bunch of like irritating contractors, didn't show up, tried to steal money from me, blah, 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 just conflict problems, whatever. But you know what? That's what real estate is. I got through it. I then rented it out on Airbnb. I made a little bit of money, but I was constantly getting harassed with like, I can't figure out how to get the remote to work. And I can't figure out how to get the front door to open and blah, blah, blah. So I finally, after years, like I, I remember one time, actually, that's why I quit it is because I had the tenants, they could not get in the front door. And I finally show up after like trying to talk to, with them on the phone for like a half hour, how to get in the front door. They couldn't figure it out. I get there. I punch in the code. I hit the big unlock button. It opens right up. And, and they looked at me and they go, oh, we didn't know you had to press the unlock button. <laughs> and I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Like, I can't do this. People are too stupid. So I, I ended up renting it out traditional rental for a while to some random tenant. It was fine. I made a little bit of money each month and I had to replace the water heater and, you know, whatever. They trashed it at some point when they left. So, the, the, you know. I decided, okay, I'm just going to sell this property after three years. I held the thing for the first year as a, as a rehab project, second year as an Airbnb, third year as a traditional rental. I sell the thing for like $65,000. Remember, I only paid wow. fifteen for it. Sell for 65000 yeah. right? I'm like, I made so much money. Then I sat down and I ran my numbers. And I looked at from the beginning of the project, the amount of money I put in, the, the profit I made per month, and then the resale of value at the end. And I averaged it out, and I made 15% per year on my money. Now, 15% wow. is great. It's double what the stock market makes, right? Sure. But sure. that's the number that most syndicators, like myself, shoot for on a passive investment. In other words, I could have simply put my money in to a real estate syndication company like my own, and made the same return with no rehab, no Airbnb, no traditional rental, no any of that. And so the point I make is for people who are who have money, you're almost always better off investing in passive deals 
unless you want to make a business out of it, in which case you'll make way more. Like if you want to do what I do, which is like, you know, build a team and analyze hundreds of deals and, and get sure. really good at it. You're better off doing that. But if you're already making money somewhere else, most of the time you're probably better off investing with a few different people that you know, like, and trust, uh, and let them put your money to work and you get to just keep making money. And I'm glad we're talking about this because it's a lesson that you could save yourself just by listening to this right now, because Sometimes I've seen it's a paradigm shift. It's a mindset, right? Because mm, maybe when mm -hmm. you're buying that property, you're like, I'm getting this good deal. And you're thinking about just the deal, but you're yeah. maybe not thinking about what your time is worth and everything else yeah. you could be doing. And I, I see that a lot is like, well, I can save 5% or I can save this here or there, but what, what's your opportunity cost on yeah. that whole thing? Right. And so yeah. I'm a big fan of do what you do best outsource yes. the rest. And, and like it. you said, unless you're going to make a business out of it, it's almost always better to kick it out to an expert that that's their full-time thing because they'll probably get you a better return. They'll probably make less mistakes too Yes, along the way. Yeah, it takes, I mean, this is like what I've, I've noticed with almost everybody who's like super successful that I've ever known. It's taken them between five and 10 years to get there. Like there is five sure. or 10 years of hell to get to the point where you're actually making really good money. Now there's in rare cases, like you can do it sooner. And some people have gotten like, like in a good spot sooner, but most people take a number of years, like salespeople. Like I think you said, you talked to Brody recently. Like, like, yeah. I think Brody even told me this, like the, was it him? That I think said like the first year he made like no money in, in sales. And then it was like the second or third year he started making more. Uh, and I've heard that from a lot of people. You just, it takes time to get good. Uh, at anything, right? So you finally, after three, four, five, ten years, get really good at your thing, and then you try to start over and do something brand new, like real estate. It's always like, oh, why 100%. would you do that? You're you're finally you're finally amazing 100%. at your thing. Yeah, keep yeah. doing it. Like go all in. The other lesson is that I've had to learn the hard way is it's not can I do it? I'm sure you mm. probably can. Anything yep. that you're looking at, it's should you do it? Yeah. And like you just said, a lot of successful people that I know. They think in terms of efficiency, like what should I be doing? Not what can I do? Because of course yeah. you could probably buy that house. Of course you could probably do the tile or rehab it in any way, but yep. should you be doing that? And I think the reason why people get successful is because they pull away with efficiencies in their life and how you manage your time can be the most important aspect, right? Because that's a limited resource. Yeah. All of us can make more money, but it's where you're spending your time that's really going to differentiate you. You know, there's this great um, story. I don't remember what business book I read in it. Maybe you'll recognize it and remember. But uh, where Dr. Oz, the guy who's actually ironically running for some Congress seat right now or whatever. But Dr. Oz, when he was like this, like five years ago, or whatever, I was at the like height of his career. He was on Oprah. He had a TV show. He had like a magazine. He was all like he was like the guy, the America's doctor. He was still doing 300 open heart surgeries every year. And the question wow. was like, how the heck could he do that? Like, why, sure. how could he do that? And the truth is because Dr. Oz was not welcoming the patient at the front desk. He was not mm. walking them up to the room. He was not putting the uh, anesthesia or whatever in their bodies. He was not cutting open their chest. He was not clamping the veins. He walked in and did one cut, the cut that he was uniquely qualified and could do better than any other person on this planet and got paid a ridiculous amount of money to do one cut. I don't even think he sewed it up. Somebody else sewed up the, per the thing that he cut. Like he just did his thing, right? And he walked out of the room. So his entire, like the open heart surgery was not the whole thing. It was the one cut. So the question is for us is like, what is our Dr. Oz cut? What is the thing that we can walk in the room 
do the thing and walk out of the room. And the more time you can spend on your cut, isn't that great? Like the more time you can spend on your Dr. Oz cut, the more successful you will be. But everybody wants to meet the person at the front desk and walk them up to the room. Totally. You take that. So Dr. Oz, why is he so successful? Take the next doctor that can make that same cut. Yeah. And he might think the exact opposite. Well, mm-hmm. I could, I could talk to the patient. I could yeah, check him I in. Could, I could do yeah. this. I could save a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I why they're out yeah. where they're at. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. You're like, oh, I wouldn't have to hire that nurse if I just did all that yeah. work myself. I wouldn't have to hire that person at the front desk. I could be the receptionist. And then they're doing they one cut inverse. a year. Yeah. It's, it's just, a, it's a, a way that wealthy, successful people think one way and the rest of the world thinks the other. And it's so clear to me uh, with the successful people that I've interviewed and I know they all, like I once heard a billionaire say say the secret to his success was being a quitter. Everything Mm. he ever did in in his business, he found a way to quit. So somebody else would do it better. That's it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Get other people What's your morning routine like? Mm. All right. So uh, I wake up every day at six o'clock, usually 559 a.m. So I used to actually get up early. I used to be like the Jocko guy, like get up at 430. And I hated it, but I I muscled through it. And then I found out it completely killed my uh, like uh, not I shouldn't say kill my marriage, but it sure killed my sex life. Right. Like (laughs) like, I fall asleep at like seven o'clock every night. So I'd put my kids to bed and fall asleep. Like my wife, like, you know, like Netflix time, watching Game of Thrones, whatever. All that just died because I fell asleep so early. So I have now six o'clock is a good time to wake up, I feel like. So I go to bed about 11, get up at six. uh, And uh, first thing I do, I make a cup of coffee. It's very much a ritual, like how I make coffee. I use an AeroPress. Uh, big fan of that. Uh, I make coffee. I go sit outside. I do like, I read one chapter of the Bible. I read one chapter of a business book. Uh, and then I journal. Uh, and I don't just like, like free journal. I actually have a journal. I, I wouldn't got like, this is not meant to be a plug, but I have my own journal. It's called the intention journal. Um, yeah, I, I basically, that, by the way, yeah, I, I basically just took like a dozen other people's journals and I use each one for like a few months over the course of two years. And I found out what I liked and what I didn't like, and then I made my own. And then for a solid year, I just, I just, I literally printed my own from some website. You can print stuff. So I printed my own. And then after about a year, I had friends that were seeing what I was doing that were asking me about it. And I was like, well, I don't really sell it. It's just my journal I made for myself. And so finally, and I was like, all right, well, maybe I can sell it. So we sell it now in bigger pockets. But um, so that is, that is vital. And let me, I want to actually show you the thing that matters the most to me. Of the journal. So my journal has several spots of it. Like you write down your goal every day, why you want it, blah, blah, blah. That's all important. Uh, But the thing that matters more than anything and that I I make sure I do every single morning is I track my habits. In other words, I track the things that I want to do on a regular basis. I got this from the the sales world, right? Like, did you make your calls? Did you do your cold calls or knock on your door? Same concept, right? If you... There's a quote in the book, The Miracle Morning, uh, for salespeople uh, that Hal Elrod wrote, wrote with a guy named Ryan Snow, I think was his name. They said, when you define your process and commit to it for an extended period of time, the results take care of themselves. That quote mm-hmm. just like changed my life. Like everything in life comes down to a process. So I literally track it. I mean, this is what it looks like right here. I know it's hard to see on the camera, but I have a tracker. I just say, did I do my phone fast. Like I said earlier, I'm not using a phone for a few months. Did I do my phone fast yesterday? Did I work out or get 10,000 steps yesterday? Did I eat my food on plan? On plan just means like according to how I want to eat. Uh, And did I record my food? 
Was I awake by 6 a.m.? Did I do my, my morning routine? And did I have 10 minutes of connection time with my wife during the day yesterday? So I sit down and I just write, a, I have a goal for the number of times throughout the week I want to hit each of those, which is one every day. It's seven times six is 42. And then I simply check off, did I do it yesterday or not? So I'll tell you, yesterday, I did my phone fast. I did work out yesterday. I did record my food and ate on plan. Yesterday, I did not wake up by 6 a.m. though. I hit the snooze button one time and it was 6.15 when I got up. So I didn't get that. I put a dash. I didn't put a check. I did my morning routine though and I did get connection time with Heather. So yesterday, I got a score of five out of, well, oh, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five out of six yesterday. At the end of the week, I added up. So my routine in the morning was longer cool. than we needed to get into. But yeah, my routine is simply yeah. read, read, and then track my habits in my journal. And, uh, and then you could quantify that at the end of the year and say, yeah. I'm 60% on waking up or 100% yep. on this. Exactly. I track all that. So last week, I got a 29 out of 42. The week before that, I had a 23 out of 42. Uh, the week before that, I had 29 out of 42. I never hit a perfect week, and that's okay. I yeah. just know that if I track these things, uh, the best I ever had, I think this whole quarter, was a 31 out of 42. That was the best I've actually done. But... It, yeah, it's and not it about perfection. Have to be, yeah, it's not all or nothing, right? Yeah, it's just I want to, I want to, I want to be better all the time. And so, how do you know you're getting better if you don't track those little things that make you better? Sure. Like yeah. the phone time, the waking up, the time with your spouse, the time with your kids, all that stuff. I track it. So that's my morning routine, and then I just sit there and usually, uh, at at some point during that, my kids will wake up and come and jump on me, and then I'll go play with the kids. That's the key is getting that done before the kids wake yes, up, right? Yes, it is. And that's it, that's and, the secret. Uh -huh. Early that's enough why six before the is kids. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to find that balance because I've done the same thing. Yeah. I wake up too early and then I'm exhausted by the afternoon and then I'm like, mm -hmm. man, this is, this yep. isn't really helping. It's hurting at that point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, there is a, a thing. When I ask you the most meaningful and significant or impactful books that you've read in your life, which ones come to mind? Uh, traction from, I mentioned earlier, but traction from Gino Wickman made a big impact on my life, uh, just on how to run a business successfully, like sure. the, how to have your meetings, how to have huge. your goals, right? Yeah. Traction, huge, uh, uh, vivid vision from Cameron Harold made a big okay. impact on me. Uh, that's all about just having a very clear and artistic vision. I don't mean like a drawing, but I literally have a newspaper article that I wrote, uh, after I read that book, a newspaper article written three years in the future about my company. And like just every day I see it on the wall. Now we passed that, like blew past my goal on that. Like my vision, like which I thought was crazy big. I said I was going to buy $50 million of real estate. We bought in that, in that time frame, we bought 300 million of real estate. Wow. We're now at almost a billion. Uh, oh. And so, yeah, Vivid Vision made a big impact because it just was like, what do you want? What sounds amazing? Write it down. Tell a story. Paint a picture. Like uh, this is my other one. Where is it? Uh, right here. This is my newest vision, which I actually need to update already. This I just did like nine months ago. Open Door Capital Magazine. It's a magazine cover. How they do it. 16,000 units and $500 million in assets under management. This date on here is December 2024. Here we are recording this in 2022, and I'm already at almost double what my goal what was on this one. Dang. And I... And I Right. And I thought this was a crazy goal, like crazy. And I've got all this like anyway, however you want to that vivid vision made a big impact on my life. And then uh, Life and Air, this book. Called, have you ever read Life and Air? It's not a very popular no. book. No, it's like millionaire, but with the word life instead of million. And the idea okay. is how do you have a a full, rich life? Not necessarily more money. 
Uh, and it made a big impact on just the way it's a, it's a fable. So it's a story, but man, it just changed my mindset around a lot of stuff. It basically says the rules, the goal of the game, uh, dictate how you play a game. If so, here's a very simple example they make in the book. If the goal of life is to make as much money as possible, you should work a hundred hours a week. But the goal of life is not to make as much money as possible, right? For sure. For so sure. then the then the rules no longer apply. The rule of you should work 100 or 120 hours a week don't apply anymore. So it's it's a way of reframing what is the goal of life? And then what rules do I want to play by that are going to get me to that ideal life? It's just a, a way of starting with the end in mind of like the I, I want to be a millionaire but in life, not in cash. And uh that made a huge impact. And then the last one I'll give is uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry from John Mark Comer. It's a Christian book about uh, just hustle and hustle culture and how that's hurting us and how like we need to add in uh, rules in our life that slow us down uh, and that keep us more present and uh, f- very similar to life and air, I guess, now that I think about it, just being more intentional with our time. I love it. I just got three books that I've never read <laughs> oh, out of good. those yeah. four. They're so great that, ones. that was a good question to unlock that. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, let's close on this. We talked about phase one, phase two, phase three. What's yeah. phase four look like of your life? Yeah, so phase four is I'm about to enter into, and that's going to be a lot more geared towards uh, giving back. Uh, and so I'm going to launch, uh, like, like I, I, my vision, like I wrote a vivid vision for phase four and I don't want to talk too much about the specifics of how I'm getting there, but the goal is to give away $1 billion. And that sounds crazy, right? But it's not actually going to be that it's not as crazy as it sounds like just with the plans that I have. So yeah, I want to, I want to help, uh, human trafficking, like help the fight against human trafficking. Uh, and I think that can be done through, uh, what I've learned in phase one, phase two, and phase three. So the lessons in phase one were like how to hustle and how to build and how to, you know, set goals and all that. Phase two was all about how to use the internet to make money, like bigger pocket stuff. Phase three was how to be a leader, like how to build a company and to inspire people and to get people all marching in the same direction. You know, phase one was all about rich dad, poor dad. Phase two, bigger pockets was all about like the four hour work week kind of stuff. Uh, Phase three was all about traction, like building the business. So phase four is going to be how to combine those three things together to change the world. Uh, And that's what I want. I think phase four will last until the day that I die. So I'm excited for that to kind of start soon. That is so cool. Thanks for sharing that goal and being vulnerable there. Brandon, you've inspired me so much in this podcast oh, thanks, can man. inspire so many others and then bigger pockets and all the other podcasts that you've been on as well. So I just want to say thanks for living a life by design, how you have, and oh, thanks, thanks for sharing your time with us today. I appreciate it, man. Well, uh, I, uh, appreciate what you're doing. I mean, you're a rock star to a lot of people and, uh, you're, uh, out there spreading so much wisdom and stuff. So keep it up. Appreciate you. Thank you. you.